Today, the title of my message is Only God Can Judge Me. Mm, you're like, oh, wait, I didn't mean to come to this service. Um, no, but th- hey, listen, this is going to be, I'm excited about this message because there's nothing but truth in it from God's word. And for you to live in the truth causes maturity. When you live in the truth, it causes maturity. It really does. And so I'm a firm believer of that. Um, obviously, part of my role here at the church as pastor is to share the truth with you and to help correct if there's errors and help encourage when we're doing in, in the right way. So when people make this statement, only God can judge me, um, really the underlying meaning that, that is there is that no one has the right to make a judgment on anyone else. But this is nonsense. According to the Bible, it is nonsense. And I want to lay out some truths for us today that will really help us. Because this defensive statement, that's really all it's ever used as, is in defense of myself. It's used when someone feels they're being judged because of another person's idea of what is sinful. And it's easy to pull one verse out of scripture and kind of start building on a foundation of that single verse and use it for your benefit. But true maturity, listen to me, church, true maturity is demonstrated when you consider the entirety of scripture. And that helps you form the clearest picture. Because God's word is true, and that's what I want to help us do today. So I want to start with the first truth, and if you're taking notes, it'll be on the screen. Number one is this, our God is a God of love, but he is also righteous and holy. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 15 through 16 say this, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger in fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Isaiah is given this understanding in chapter 66 of what the final judgment of all humanity will be like. And these verses are not talked about very often. And so I wanted to set some balance because in our day and age, many people talk about a God of love and then they look at Christians and say, I thought you were supposed to love everyone. And they've got this wrong idea because it's, it's misunderstood that God truly is righteous and holy and he expects that of us. So the final judgment of all flesh, according to Isaiah 66, says it will result in many slain. And my prayer today is that for anyone who hears this message, they would not be those who are slain, but those who are brought in to his eternal kingdom. See, God knew that when he created mankind with a free will to make their own choices, he knew that justice would be a necessity He absolutely did. It would be required. There was even a time in the early days of the Israelite people, God's primary or first choice people here on the earth, that they had a season in the history where they did not have a king, but they had judges. Uh, One of the things, despite the 
failings of America and despite the failings of its justice system and those who are involved in it, we can pick that apart some other time and not from this platform. But I love the fact that our judicial system has its roots and its understanding in a moral law that comes from the God that we serve. So justice and judgment are rational and logical necessities for a civilization or a people to survive. I want you to think about that. Justice and judgment are logical and rational necessities for us to survive and not just survive, but to thrive. See, we've got to have the ability, if we are free will, what we call agents of free will, there's got to be punishment for wrongdoing, and there's got to be rewards for right doing. I know that's not proper grammar, but we've got to have that punishment for the wrongdoing and then a reward for right or righteous behavior. In fact, you know this and that it's innate instincts inside of us because we do it with our children a little less with our grandchildren, <clears throat> but we do it with our children and, and we reward their good behavior and then we punish their bad behavior. Why do we do that? Just so our life is more peaceable? No, because we've been charged by God to actually raise them in the right way. And so this world and the systems and the governments and all the things, they require right behavior and that will give you a good reward and bad behavior wrong behavior gives you punishment so the bible tells us very clearly that we will all be judged by god now you might be today years old in the realization that even christians will be judged by god and we're going to talk through what that looks like truth number two unbelievers and believers alike will be judged by god some of you might know this uh, in an in a abstract sense, but I'm going to give you some truth today directly from God's word and Jesus' statements in Matthew chapter 25 that's going to help unpack this for you. Verse 31 in Matthew chapter 25, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. This is at the end of our time. And it says, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to what he goes on to say. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I'm reminded in this passage of the other place in the New Testament where there's this simple phrase and it says, do everything as unto the Lord. 
I talked about that recently while I was mopping and cleaning at my job. I had that Holy Spirit kind of nudge to not be grumpy about it, but to realize, you know what? I'm thankful for this job. God gave me this job. He put me here. This is part of the responsibility, and I'm going to do the best I can. So if Jesus walked into that room, he'd see the floor was clean. That, and you say, that sounds super spiritual, pastor. No, that's really the behavior we should have. And I don't have it all the time. That's why I talk about it, because I want to encourage you to have it more and me to have it more. But then there's some bad news. Jesus, as the king, is separated now, the right and the left. The sheep are on the right, and the goats are on the left. And verse 41 says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The truth, and it's a joyful truth for those who have embraced it and are on the right side. The truth is there are two destinations in eternity. We get to choose because we are agents of free will. God created us with that free will. So we get to choose which way we're going to go. And here in this whole passage, Jesus is communicating the proper way to go is to do these things and do them as they were unto him. And that shows righteousness or right behavior. That's the believer who's doing that. So every human will be judged according to the works done while they are alive. Believers will be judged. Revelation 20, 21. I'd encourage you to read it. Romans 14, all of these different places throughout scripture. If you read that, you'll see Believers will be judged by what they've chosen to do and what they've chosen not to do. So look at me and listen for a second. When you hear me or my wife or a ministry leader or our ministry coordinator, Megan Goodson, if you hear us encouraging you to get involved and to serve in the church, it's because we all have a job to do, but we're going to be held responsible for what we've chosen to do or not do. Oh, I don't have time to do that. Don't let me step on your toes this morning. I'm not preaching at anybody. I'll, I'll look at somebody who does a lot, <laughs> who it doesn't apply to. But the idea is that we really should understand our actions here in this human life will be judged as a believer or an unbeliever. The unbeliever will be judged according to their works as well. Here's a very important statement. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Your works don't earn your salvation. Your faith does. But your works do validate your salvation. So I didn't have to do anything but open up myself, my spiritual self to him and say, God, I need you. Make me new again. Give me what I need, this salvation. Lord, I accept your love and forgiveness and grace. I'm going to walk with you. That's all that it takes to come to him. 
But once I've come to him, if true life change has happened, then my works will demonstrate that faith inside of my heart. So validate means to demonstrate or support the truth of or the value of something. When someone validates your ticket, they're proving that you're on the right plane or in the right place. When they validate your check to get a, you guys don't even know what a coat check is, do you? Because it's Mississippi. But anyway, I was thinking of other illustrations where you you give something, okay, uh, uh, what do you call it? Valet parking. You get a ticket and you give it back and it validates you are the owner of that vehicle. This is what I'm telling you. Your works as a believer proves, validates your salvation. And if you choose not to do any works, then it proves the status of your heart. So we will all be judged by God in the end. And the question really is, are you his sheep or are you a goat? That's a, that's a simple question. And it might be a little bit sharp worded for us, but Jesus was very clear. This is not a, everyone gets in. This is those who love me, who have lived a life for me, get in and the rest don't. That, that sad truth should grip our hearts, not only with hope for our own selves, but a truth that really causes us to speak about our faith with those who we work with, those who we interact with and know. Truth number three is this. Believers are not to judge unbelievers, but they are to judge one another, just not hypocritically or uncaringly. The reason why criticism should come is because growth is going to be the motivation. It's because I love you that I tell you this thing so that you can grow in this area. It's not because I'm standing up in some holier than thou position going, well, look at you. I think you should change that. That's not what this is about. The Bible actually tells us as believers, we are to judge one another, but we're not to judge the unbeliever. You're going to be surprised if you don't know the passage. You're going to be surprised in a minute when you hear what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Let's read that together. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, this is the verse where everybody just holds on to it. Only God can judge me. But if they're not reading the context and understanding there's more to it than just this, They miss out. Verse 2 says this, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Okay, that stings a little bit. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, if you're listening to this closely and followed that pattern or that path, He does say, don't judge or else you'll be judged just the same way. But if you choose to judge, when you judge, don't judge hypocritically. He still says that you can help your brother take the speck out of their own eye as long as you're in a position to help. 
But the problem is so many of us are walking around with this giant log in our eye and we're the blind leading the blind and calling out other people's problems or sin that we perceive, whether it's sin or just our opinion of that. And we're not handling the infected eye that we have. So he doesn't say you shouldn't. He just says when you do, be careful and make sure you're in the right attitude and in the right relationship, really, because you better not be hypocritical. It's not the act of judging that God has a problem with. He instituted law and judgment. It's the attitude with which we do it. So that that is a game changer if we start to really comprehend it. Look at what Jesus actually commands the Jewish religious leaders to do in John chapter 7, verse 24. He says, do not judge, period. No. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. How do I know what right judgment is? It's not my opinion, you can be sure. It's got to be something based in truth in the word of God. This echoes an earlier passage from 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll tell you the story, I'm just going to read one verse. When Samuel, he's been given the task of anointing a new king. He comes into a place called Bethel. And he comes there and he's going to sacrifice to the Lord and worship him. He understands that Jesse is a man who has many sons. And God is sending him there to pick one to be the next king. He puts his eyes on Eli. Eliab is how they say it. He puts his eyes on him and says, surely this has got to be the guy. He must have been the oldest brother, tallest, handsome, whatever. And look at what happens in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. But the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, here's another thing. Now, this is a second message, and I'm not going to preach it, but I'm just going to tell you. Don't be the person who says, well, God knows my heart. Don't be that person, because you'll get me... You'll get me and Jesus angry (laughs) because yes, God does know your heart and the Bible speaks about your heart and it says that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So we've got to be really careful when we're like, well, God knows my heart. I mean, I wanted to give in church today, but I just Christmas shopping in the God does know your heart. He knows your obedience. He knows your disobedience. He knows your likes and dislikes, but this is a little bit uh, sobering. To hear and understand, if you really truly understand it, that God does know my heart. For that, on many days I'm thankful, but on some days I'm scared to death. You should be too. The Lord is the only one who can look on the heart, man cannot. So if this is true, this means I cannot judge your heart, your motivation, your intention, I can only judge what I see with my physical eyes. We're left to judge what we can see. Paul commands the Corinthian church to not associate with sexually immoral people. This required making a judgment. Um, Churches back then (laughs) and churches today are messed up because they're filled with a lot of people who aren't yet at the final destination. 
And in that day and time, there was a lot of paganism. There still is today. It's just kind of discreet. But back then, they went from the temple where they did all kinds of bad things. They heard about the Savior. They wanted to come to faith. They came to faith. And then they said, oh, wait, do I, I can't keep doing this stuff? And so they were mixing in. And Paul is telling the Corinthian church, you better not associate with people like that. Well, how do you not associate with them? You make a free will decision to not have any relationship with them. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. It says, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. And I'm going to help you with this last phrase. Because there would be no one left to hang out with. That's ri- that's what he's saying. Since then, you would n- not be able or you would need to go out of the world. Like you'd have to go to another planet to find people that aren't sexually immoral, greedy and swindlers and idolaters and all these things. So he's making it very clear to them. But he says something important. Verse 11, but now I am writing to you. Not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That means in the church. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, don't you even share a meal with that person. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Verse 13, God will take care of those on the outside. It says God judges those outside, but you better get rid of this evil person that's in your midst who is still sexually immoral and going, Jesus is the name above all names. You better get rid of because birds of a feather flock together and behavior rubs off on you. So somebody who could be in the church and maybe on their way, they better make a fast and quick decision to stop that behavior that is of the old man or woman and start living in the newness of life that they've been called to. Come on, I'm preaching to people who aren't here. Take this message with you. Amen. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from bushes. Grapes aren't picked from a bramble bush. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So, he gives this comparison several times during his ministry on earth and says, there's no way you can, and I'm going to put it in today's day and age where we can understand, you can't go and pick a banana off an apple tree. It doesn't work like that. And you know the story, we shared it recently, about Jesus cursing the fig leaf or the fig tree that was in leaf but was not bearing any fruit because he was looking for the stuff to validate its nature. He's looking to you as a believer and me as a believer to see the fruit of our life bear out the fact that he has changed us. A tree is known by its fruit. 
So while we can't see the heart of others, we can see and we should judge the actions of others. God wants you to discern others' actions because they can affect you. You have to make that decision. We make that decision as parents, and we people might think we're crazy, but we get complimented, which I'm thankful for, for the behavior of our children. So far, so good, but I'm starting to pray and fast already for the teenage years, okay? <laughs> Having said that, uh, we make decisions that are discerning between good and evil. We've made several decisions, and we cemented one recently regarding something that goes on an activity at our Christian school. There is no way we are going to let our children be part of. Because we have to stand for righteousness and make that decision and train them up in that way because they are our responsibility. Now, it's easy to think about them as my responsibility, but the deeper truth is I am my responsibility too. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 and 25 says this, Don't make any friendship with a man who's given to anger, nor go and hang out with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You hang out with an angry person, you'll eventually, even as sweet and docile as you are, become an angry person. It's true. Bad attitudes rub off quicker than good ones. I mean, it's true. We've got people like that that you work with, that you know in your community. Maybe they live in your house. Um, and the bad attitude can rub off very quickly. So we make decisions, like I said, about our children. And we say, well, we're just not going to do this. Their last name is not Bambera. We've chosen to do it this way. And sorry, Charlie, that's it. You're stuck with this until you're not. Okay. But we don't want to learn the behaviors of others because that does rub off. So we've got to make discerning judgment calls. I think we in the church have sometimes not made the judgment calls that we should. Trying to err on the side of grace and love and forgiveness and all of these things. But Paul is clear. Jesus was clear. The Old Testament is clear all the way through cover to cover, that you got to make some right decisions for you and you've got to be careful. Look at what Hebrews 5.14 says about the mature believer. Those who are spiritually mature are those, look at what it says, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. To be able to know the difference between what is good and what is evil. To be able to judge that accordingly. That comes with spiritual maturity. So we're not to judge where a person stands with God because we're incapable of doing so. But we must be able to discern both good and evil in the actions of ourselves as well as others. We've got to know the difference. And how do I know the difference and not just my own opinion? I've got to be a person who seeks God and reads his word. I've got to know what his desires and his demands are on my life. I've told students this before and I've shared it in church as well. Every human on this earth is a slave. The thing is you get to choose who you are a slave to. Will you be a slave to sin or will you be a joyous servant of the king who rightfully does? He really does own me and he gets to determine my fate and my future and all of those things if I let him. Truth 
Truth number four. When you judge, keep your judgment to scripturally indisputable things. I just want you to think about this statement for just a moment. When you're making a judgment about someone's behavior, you must keep it to things that you can prove in Scripture, that you see actual evidence of. And we're not talking about a single obscure verse that's somewhere stuck in Leviticus. We're talking about, I've got to know the principle behind it is evidence through God's word. Otherwise, it's my opinion and I should keep it to myself. It should be louder than that. Go ahead, the three of y'all. Okay, amen. (laughs) Uh, I said something recently on Facebook. You know, people out there causing all kinds of division and strife and they're speaking out their own personal opinion, whereas they should really just be having that with one-on-one conversations with people. If you want to, if you want to know my opinion, you can ask me or just stand close to me because I'll willingly give you my opinion. But, and you're like that too. That's why you're laughing. It's not just me, but we, we have to understand there's a difference between God's word and my opinion. So there are a couple things that I could give you as examples, but let me give you this example. God's word is clear that sex outside of marriage is wrong, but the Bible doesn't say whether couples who are dating can kiss. So I've got great, these college girls, I don't know what they're talking about up here. Okay, I've got great Christian friends who strongly advise against kissing before marriage. I've seen a couple videos of marriage ceremonies where a buddy of mine from college, the first kiss he ever planted on the lips of another human was on at the altar on his wedding day. Wow, that's amazing. But don't tell me how to live my life. I'm sorry. I have other... I have other good Christian friends who think refraining from kissing is unnecessarily restrictive. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, to those, I mean, now you know their opinion. So here's, here's the thing though. There's gotta be some humor in this because we're talking about judgment and it's a, it's a big heavy thing, but you cannot go and make it your goal to convince everyone that your opinion is at the same weight of God's word. We've got to be careful. We've got to be more well-behaved now than ever before. I say that by the Spirit of God because I tell you, we really do have to be on our guard. There are people who are falling off the cliff into eternity without the knowledge of a loving God and a wonderful Savior because there have been issues in the church where people have been about stupid things. And the list is long. I'll give you a few other ones. And I, I hope I don't rattle your cage. But if I do, the shoe fits. Put it on. Wear it for a full day. Tattoos. Worshiping on Sunday or Saturday, whole church denominations have split apart about that. Alcohol, hairstyles, piercings. There's a lot of stuff that I can feel my opinion. I can feel my opinion or make form my opinion is what I'm trying to say. I can form my opinion based on some stuff inside of God's word, but I cannot go around telling everybody else how to live I need to make sure that I 
Don't have my log poking everybody else's eye out. And so far as I know, my log is not gone. It might have been reduced, but okay. (laughs) We're going to just move on from there. Those are just to name a few. And you could probably think if I pulled the audience, you could probably shout out two or three, maybe five or six more things where whole groups of people have disenfranchised or broken away from the unity of the body of Christ simply for that. I've told the story before, and I've tried this week to remember her name, and maybe my wife will remind me later, of the woman who was a greeter in our church in Hawaii. After this faithful day, I told her she was never to stand at the doors of that house again to welcome anyone. Because she unfairly criticized a man who was in need of Jesus, had spent jail time, had a broken family, had been on drugs, had been an alcoholic, and today is his first day in church and you're going to make fun of what he's wearing? No. And it was within earshot of this man, long hair down to his waistline, coming the the church with shorts and slippers, as they call them, like flip-flops, just like he walked just off the beach. A sleeveless t-shirt, y'all, tattoos all the way down. And he came in looking greasy and messed up. And he, I'm telling you, the Lord radically delivered that man and changed his life and saved him. He's still serving the Lord today. I got to baptize him in the Pacific Ocean. I baptized his family. His mother turned her life around. God did wonderful things. But had we let that stand at the door, bad stuff could have happened. A whole family could have gone to an eternity without the knowledge of who God is. It's so important. You've got to be careful to not elevate your preference to the place of biblical authority. You feel strongly about it. I know you do. Whatever it is. Some of you perked up when I said certain things. I feel strongly about those things too. And I will preach. And I will try to live according to God's word. The best I know how in this life. But I have got to make some decisions for myself. And not try to cram that down somebody else's throat. There are whole churches that talk about women shouldn't wear makeup. Women shouldn't wear anything. They shouldn't wear pants. They shouldn't be on platforms. By God, the last two months, we had two wonderful ladies on this platform preach. Amen? So we, we, you've got to be careful. That's all I'm saying. Romans 14 verse 12 says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The statement that only God can judge me is nonsense. It has a measure of truth in it. We understand that God will be the final judge and he is righteous. He's looking for a bride that is pure and holy without spot or wrinkle. He will judge all people. But we also know that believers shouldn't judge unbelievers. But when we judge believers, we've got to look at fruit and we've got to do it with kindness and gentleness. We've got to do it in a way that helps lead to growth remember that our judgment has got to be based on concrete principles found in God's word and not our preferences or just a cherry picked scripture verse somewhere the church I'm convinced the church will be better for it and so will the world if we judged better and maybe more often and opened ourselves up to criticism and growth rather than 
being so defensive and saying, get out of my face, it's my life. I can make my own choice. God knows my heart and all those things. I was at work this week and my district manager, um, she's a wonderful lady, in case she listens to this message. Uh, she, she's a, she is a wonderful uh, lady and she's taught me a lot. But she did something this week that was surprising to me. And I thought at first it wasn't genuine, but then I realized how genuine it was. Long story short, one of the employees at the front desk, she's sitting in the office about 20 feet away, but we're in a quiet environment and, and one is talking to the other and the voices are kind of loud and they shouldn't be. And the employee starts to walk towards the office and said, I'm so sorry, I should not be talking this loud and just kind of said it out loud and was correcting herself and getting closer to my district manager. And my district manager turned to her and said, thank you for correcting me. I wasn't even thinking that we were being so loud. She didn't really correct her, but she took it as a moment of, okay, wait a second, let me, and I thought to myself, what kind of person are you (laughs) to thank you for correcting me? I don't know when the last time is I said those words to anybody or to the Lord himself, (laughs) but his correction is worthy of our enduring Would you stand with me today? Maybe the Lord's corrected you today during this message. Maybe he's helped you understand it in a different light. But I want to make this invitation very clear today. If you have never accepted Christ's love in his his grace and his forgiveness in your life, you can do that right now. He is a righteous judge, but he is such a loving God. And he will take anyone who comes to him. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I just want to offer this invitation. If you're here today and you either say, I've never done that or I've been far away from the living in the truth and I need to make a change, I want to do it today, just shoot up your hand. Let me see it. If there's anybody here. Moving along, if you, if you as a believer are here today and you're convinced that maybe you're not living in such a way that pleases him, then you need to make the decision today to stop it and to start walking in his way. So if you say, pastor, I'm struggling in some area of my life, whatever it might be, and I need to stop and I need to start walking in God's way. And it doesn't have to be some gross, immoral sin. It can be that you've just rejected his guidance on an issue or that you're not being a good steward or other things. There's a wide gap there or a wide variety. If that's you and you say, I I need to just course correct today, would you pray for me? Slip up your hand and let me see it and you can put it right back down. Maybe you're here today and you've been judging others wrongly. Maybe you've been really critical and had a critical attitude towards others and maybe it's just based on appearances. If you say, you know, I've, I've done that way too much and I should stop doing that, then stop today and ask God for his help and his grace. <clears throat> if that's you and you say, you know, pastor, I've been over judgmental. I've been, I've been not behaving well when it comes to this aspect, but I, I wanna make a change today. Slip up your hand. There are hands up for all of these choices that I've given today. I want to pray with you and I want to encourage you during this last worship song, I want you to just give it to him because he's so good. Father, I pray right now over these people. Lord, us, your people, 
we are we are too judgmental in some cases and have not been judgmental enough to make right decisions in other cases. There are some that are far from you and haven't accepted your love. And there are some that have been living in a way that doesn't please you in a certain area of their life. And God, my prayer today is by the conviction and the work of the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit of life, would breathe into each one of these souls, these spirits today. And Lord, as we turn that over to you, help today be the day that we start fresh and new again. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. Holy Spirit, come renew all of my strength. Come speak to us, Lord. I will wait for you. 